Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. This is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. Now if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. And let's pause at that point and ask the Lord's blessing upon the evening message. Lord God, again, we assemble here as your children in our imperfections, in our weaknesses, in our problems, and in our sin. We sometimes don't know what direction to go and what to do. We feel ourselves bogged down with the cares and concerns of this world. But, our Father, when we look to you, we can find peace and comfort we can find joy even in times when there are distresses in our life, when there are sicknesses and problems that burden us. We can look up and know that you're still on the throne and that even in the midst of all the things that surround us, you are still serene. You're still mighty. And we can place our lives in your hands and you will do with us according to your righteous will. So Lord, as your people this evening, as your children, we beg your presence in our midst to forgive our sins, to cleanse us of our impurities and to lift us up and may our hearts be gladdened. May we find peace and joy for this experience this evening because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting. As you look at uh, the scripture, that we sometimes get caught up in the mechanics of the way it's written. Somewhere a few hundred years ago, somebody got the good idea that the Bible ought to be put in, in uh, chapters and verses. The Lord didn't write that way. The writers of the Hebrews didn't write it that way. It was just one continual writing. And someone developed this process by which we can sort it out and, and put it verse by verse and, 
and it's been a good tool for us, but we must remember that that wasn't originally the way it was. Nobody wrote it that way, it was, and it was in longhand. Everybody wrote it out uh, in longhand. This simply was a letter, a letter to Hebrew people, to Jewish people. So we went through the seventh chapter this morning very hurriedly, and the more I'm studying in the book of Hebrews, I believe I could preach a whole year out of the book of Hebrews and never, never get through it. I keep wondering how on earth am I going to pass up that and go on to something else. And I realize I can't spend all year in the book of Hebrews. I just wouldn't be logical. You'd get awfully tired of it after a while. <clears throat> um, so the Lord did something for us about the, the seventh chapter, and he did it in the first verse of the eighth chapter, first and second verses, actually. If you look at those first and second verses with me, and let me... Uh, reread them with the idea that they are referring to this whole complex seventh chapter that we tried to deal with this morning of Melchizedek and how Christ is a uh, the, the, the real high priest and Melchizedek was an, an earthly example. And he says this, and I'm reading from the King James, if you've got some other translation it probably would be easier. Now of these things which we have spoken, this is the summary. I put the word summary there instead of some, because that's exactly what it means. He is saying, now I'm going to summarize for you what I have just said. And he's making reference to the seventh chapter. Okay, got the picture? Here's the summary of the seventh chapter in the latter portion of verse 1 and verse 2. He says, we have such a high priest who is set, and I'm going to add a word. My word, it's not in the scripture, who is set down. It's not in the scripture here, but it is in many other places in the scripture that when Jesus went back to heaven, he sat down. He doesn't say sat down here, but it, it carries that intention. We have a high priest who has sat down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. That's the person that he's been talking about, the high priest, through all this seventh chapter. And then the text tonight is the second verse. And maybe you never saw it this way, but I want you to think in terms tonight of Jesus being our minister. We talked about him this morning as being our high priest. And I don't suppose that very many of us ever thought about him as being a minister in the terms that we think of. That is, somebody who gets up in front of congregations and preaches a sermon and leads the worship service, so to speak. And that's exactly what he's saying that Jesus does. But where does he do it? We're going to, have to see it here in a minute. So let's read verse 2. Here's a summary. He is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. Remember, chapter 7 talked about a tabernacle that was built when they were in the wilderness. It was a tent and that's all it was. Whenever the people moved, they tore the tent down, they packed everything up, they carried it on their shoulders, and they went somewhere else, and they set it up again. It was a temporary tabernacle. It was a place of worship for God's children all during those 40 years of wandering around out there in the desert. When they finally became settled, they built a place of worship. They had uh, synagogues in the various towns, and in Jerusalem, they had the huge temple. We build our places of worship. This is our place of worship. But 
The word shadow is used all the way through the 7th verse and over into the 8th verse. All these earthly things, this building that we use as a place to worship God is only a shadow of what is really going to be in heaven. Now, Now follow this thinking. When you see a shadow of something, you see nothing but the outline. If you see a shadow of a tree, it's doubtful, unless you're very, very good at it, that you could tell what kind of tree it is by looking at the shadow. It's just got a vague outline. If you know somebody well and see their shadow, you might be able to say that that is so-and-so if you know them well enough. But for the most part, a shadow is nothing but a very, very dim very dim image of the real person or the real place, the real thing. And so the Lord is saying that Jesus is the minister of the real thing, of the real place of worship, of which all of these things on earth are nothing more than very, very vague images. Now, if we think this is a beautiful building, Keep in mind that it's nothing more than a shadow of what the place of worship is going to be in heaven. Can you picture that? This, this is, is what we've got. Uh, now, first of all, he says that this person, Jesus, who is described as the high priest all the way through the seventh chapter, did something. He did not stay in this world, but he left this world and he went to heaven. And when he got to heaven, there he sat down on the right hand of the Father. Now it's important to understand two things in that verse. First of all, he sat down. And he sat down where? On the right hand. Keep those two things in mind because I want to talk about them. You remember back in the Old Testament days, and we've made reference to this several times that the function of the high priest was to go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people. He did not go in there and sit down. He went in there and he stood. And as he stood there, sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat and all the things that he did, as he stood there, he was a very nervous individual. Because first of all, he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin before he could go in there. And there was always the question in his mind, am I righteous enough? Will God accept me? And will God let me make this sacrifice? And you remember that I told you some weeks ago that the high priest wore bells on his garment, little tinkling bells. And the people out in the congregation listened intently for the continuation of those bells because as he stood and uh, what motions he made with his arms and so on, the bells would tinkle. If they stopped tingling, then they knew that God had been unsatisfied with him and he died and they would reach in with a shepherd's crook and try to find him and snake him out of there. He was dead because God had rejected him. He had not purified himself. Now, he stood there to give the sacrifice. But this scripture says that when Jesus, as the high priest, had made the sacrifice, he sat down. He didn't stand. Why did he sit down? Well, first of all, I think we can recognize that he sat down because of what he said on the cross when he said, Father, it is finished. 
What did he mean? He had completed the task for which he had been assigned, to which he had been assigned. He came to this earth to be the Savior, to make the sacrifice, to be the sacrifice. And when he gave his life on the cross, he had become completely and fully the sacrifice. The blood was shed and the task was over. So the job is finished. He's got a right to sit down. When you finish the job, don't you sit down? I, I do. When I'm done, I sit down. Or lie down if I can. I get a little bit disturbed by people, who are supervisors, who think that after a person has finished the job that they ought not sit down. They ought to stand around and wait. And I don't buy that at all. When a person's job is finished, he ought to be able to relax a moment, sit down and take the weight off his feet. Jesus sat down. But he sat down on the right hand of the Father. Why the right hand? Well, we've got to have a little more history. I don't know whether you like the history lessons I try to give you or not, but I, I, I think they're important. You remember that there was a body, a, a court called the Sanhedrin, or Sanhedrin is the way I usually pronounce it. I think Sanhedrin is probably the correct pronunciation. Which was a court made of the leaders of the Jewish community. In those days, the government and the church were commingled. And so there was a court that would determine not only political matters, but church matters as well by this one court. And so if a person were brought into the court and was judged by the court, imagine the court sitting like the Supreme Court. On the right side of the high priest sat a secretary. On the left side of the high priest sat a secretary. If the court said, you are guilty, you are condemned, it was the secretary on the left side that did the writing. If he was acquitted, it was the secretary on the right side that did the writing. They had a secretary for the condemnation, and they had a secretary for the acquittal. I get the picture. Which side did Jesus sit on? He said on the right side, which is the side of acquittal. Jesus did not go and sit on the right hand of the Father to condemn the world. But as the scripture says, but that the world, that the, everybody would be saved. It is his desire to acquit all people. He's sitting on the right hand of the Father to write out my acquittal and your acquittal because we accepted the sacrifice that he made. Get the picture? Now, what, I don't know how much you know about uh, uh, satanic worship, but one of the things that you will learn if you do any study of the worship of Satan that they never use the right side, they use the left side as in direct opposition to God. The position of honor in satanic worship is on the left side. And what happens on the left side? Condemnation happens on the left side. The secretary writes the sentence that condemns. 
Satan is out to condemn and destroy this entire world and everybody in it. We hold up the right hand to make a swear, a promise, what have you. In satanic worship, you hold up the left hand. And by the way, this is a satanic sign. And you've seen it more than once on television and didn't know you were seeing it. It's the left hand up like this. You know what that means? The two fingers up mean those are the horns of Satan. Up with Satan. The three that are down are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost and down with the Trinity. That's what that sign means. And some people are using it uh, not knowing what they're doing. And I see it amongst teenagers a lot. They don't realize that they're saying up with Satan and down with the, with the Trinity. But that's what that means. On the left side. John 3.17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, that is, use the left side, but that the world through him might be saved. Now it's interesting to note that Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father, but he tells us that the day is coming when we're going to sit with him. We, I, I don't understand the mechanics of that, how big a seat that's going to take for all of the saved people of the world to sit with Jesus on the right hand of the Father. But Revelation 3.21 says, He who overcometh, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. A position of honor will be given to us to sit with Christ on the right side of the Father. And from that position, then uh, we'll have, uh, we, we will be responsible and be a part of some of the judgments, such as judging the fallen angels and some other things that we'll not talk about tonight. Now I want to make a contrast. We've talked about Jesus sitting down. But do you remember when Stephen was being stoned because of his faith that's recorded in Acts the 7th chapter? The scripture says that as he was being stoned that he gazed intensely, very intensely into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father. We just said he sat down. And Stephen says, I see him standing on the right hand of the Father. Someone has suggested the reason in this case that he was standing is that Jesus gets to his feet to direct the affairs of the angels to take care of people on earth when they get in trouble. And I believe that. Listen. How many times does a, a coach sit down? He's standing on the sidelines directing the affairs and say, do this, do this, do this to all of his players. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father because he's finished his work as far as our redemption is concerned, but he's ready to jump to his feet and come to our defense when we're in trouble. And Stephen saw him in this capacity. 
Not one now that has taken his hands off all the affairs of the world. He saw him as one who had jumped to his feet because one of his children was in trouble. To send out the angels that they might do his bidding. Over the years, I've, I've come to know a lot of people. I wouldn't know how many hundreds of people I know like you. But become, that have become a very real and very vital part of my life. And some of those people I will cherish to the day I die and can call them to my mind quickly. Who have played an important, vital part in, in the ministry where, where I've been. Like so many of you have done. This one person that I'm remembering now told me this story not very long ago. This individual, a lady in her middle age, who I know prays for me every day. And she's told me more than once what she has prayed for me and for my ministry. But she said on one occasion that as she was going to work, as she pulled out of the small side road onto the main highway, and as she did, she wanted to go to the right, and as she did, she looked to the left and saw that her lane was clear, and just pulled out onto the highway and never looked to the right in the direction that she was going, because there was nobody coming in her lane. She said, it never entered my mind that there might be somebody in my lane coming toward me. She said, I turned and was in that lane and suddenly, I saw an 18-wheeler facing me immediately who was out of the passing lane coming straight at me. And she said, I froze. Said, I could not do anything, use my hands nor my feet. And this is what she said to me. She said there was as if two huge hands came down from somewhere and took the wheel of my car and wheeled it over to the side of the road and stopped it. He said, I never did it. I couldn't. I was frozen. One of God's children was in trouble and Jesus was on his feet directing the affairs of his angels or whoever to protect his people. I've never had that experience, but I know that it happens. And I am confident that you and I have been protected time and time again because Jesus was on his feet looking after us. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. Well, let's go on to verse 2. He's a minister. Do you realize that on earth he could not have been a priest because he was of the wrong tribe, and we talked about that this morning, and he never attempted to be? On earth he was the Savior, but he was never the priest. But in heaven, his position is changed, and verse 2 says that he becomes the minister. person who is going to be in charge of the temple of God in heaven, 
who will stand before the congregation and lead them in the worship of God. You talk about a minister. We have the greatest one there is. Poor souls like myself sin and fail and falter and don't do things like they ought to be done and all that goes with it. But in heaven we're not going to be saddled with inabilities of a human being. We're going to have someone as the minister of the tabernacle of God who is Jesus himself. The real tabernacle, the true one, of which this one on earth is nothing more than just a sample. Now talk about a church service. Let your mind wander with me to heaven and imagine the the spirituality, the Holy Ghost filling, the praising, the singing of that church service. Talk about hugging each other and loving each other and hand clapping and praising and singing. We are going to be in a service then that will praise God on high like it ought to be done. And in front of us is going to be our Lord and our Savior, our minister leading us. Can you imagine that? What a beautiful scene it's going to be. You talk about shouting, Judy. There's going to be some then, dear. Talk about praising. Talk about singing. Wilma, I don't know whether they'll let you lead the choir or not, but there's going to be a great choir. Fred, you and I are going to have to sit back in the congregation because the Lord's going to be up here. He's going to lead the service. The earthly worship that we go through here is nothing more than a shadow of the kind of service that we're going to have in heaven. And I'll guarantee you in heaven nobody's going to get bored, nobody's going to sleep, nobody's going to shake their watch, nobody's going to hurry out after the service. Nobody's going to sit on the back seat except they have to. All of you people on the back seat better take you to do it now because you're not going to get the chance when you get to heaven. You know why? We won't want to. We'll all be trying to get up front. We want to be close to the Lord. And people will come early in order to get the front seat. We'll all crowd up front. What's he going to be doing there? Look at verse 3. What's the Lord going to do besides lead us? Let me read verse 3. You follow. For every high priest is ordained to do two things. Notice, offer gifts and sacrifices. See that? That's what the high priest did in the Old Testament days. They did two things. They offered both uh, sacrifices and they offered gifts. Now the sacrifice was for the cleansing of sin. But you see, that's not all that is being offered. There are gifts to be offered as well. Sometimes we get so tied up in the fact that Jesus gave his life for us, he sacrificed for us, and we don't realize that we are responsible for bringing something back back in praise to him. We've got to offer something. What do you offer? 
Sometimes we sing the hymn, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Why do we sing that? Because we know that there's nothing we can do to get saved. But once we're saved, we should be bringing offerings to the Lord. Gifts. This Christmas season, we talked about the wise men who brought their gifts to Christ. What are we bringing to Christ? What is our offering? Simply because we want to give him something. And isn't that the greatest gift there is? What you got for Christmas that was almost a mandatory gift doesn't mean nearly as much as that gift that came from somebody you never expected anything from who did it just, just because they loved you. And you probably said, well, I didn't get you anything. And they said in return, I didn't expect you to. That gift really means something. That unexpected. Because you wanted to give. Our gift to God ought to be something that we can do. Our personal dedication, our commitment, our thanksgiving. This verse says that the high priest was ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, but go on with it. It is necessary that this man, that means Jesus, it is necessary that Jesus has somewhat to offer. Now remember, he's the high priest. All he can present to God is what we give him to present. We don't want our Lord going in before God with empty hands. The high priest could only offer to God what the people brought. So the question is, what do we bring? What are we offering unto Jesus that he might offer that unto God? Fourth verse. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Because there are priests here, there are ministers here that offer gifts and so on, that perform according to the law. But verse 5, these only serve again as a shadow. The word shadow comes into thing. All that we do here is nothing more than the shadow. But I want you to notice in the rest of this verse, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. Remember when Moses went up into the mountain, God gave him some instructions. One of the instructions was, when you go back down to the valley with the people, you build a tabernacle, and you build it the way I tell you. And this verse says that God reminded Moses, see that thou make all things according to the pattern that was shown to you. That is a beautiful verse, and an important one. We are admonished to see to it that our lives, our church, are patterned after the, the, the thing that is given to us. The tabernacle on earth was a, an exact replica of what's in heaven. Now hear that. The tabernacle that the Jews had on earth was a replica of what is in heaven. Just a shadow of it. He's saying our lives ought to be a replica of what will be in heaven. That's the way our lives ought to be. Our church ought to be a replica of what's in heaven. 
when it is, then we have accomplished what we have been told to accomplish here upon earth. And verse 6. Now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, a more excellent ministry he's meaning than what the priests had, a more excellent ministry than what I have as the pastor of this church. Jesus has a more excellent ministry. And what is his ministry? Look what Jesus does as our minister. He is the mediator of a better covenant. He is the one that negotiates between us and God. If things aren't right between me and God, if things are not right between you and God, you know how they can get right? Just talk to the Lord Jesus about it, and he'll negotiate an agreement. He'll get God to say, I forgive them. He will represent us before the throne of God. That's his ministry. Our minister in heaven serving God and leading his congregation in the true worship of God of which what we do here is just a shadow but the day is coming when we'll stand before the throne of God and we'll see Jesus Christ in front of us leading us in worship and praise who now takes what we want to give to God and presents it to the Lord, to God for us. Who now sits there to negotiate our problems, hears our concerns, and takes these to the Lord, and the Lord says, I forgive. Who now is sitting on the right hand of the Father, but ready to jump to his feet at any moment when one of his children's in trouble. Don't you think the Lord's sitting down when you get in trouble. He's on his feet, ready to bring about a blessing in your life. You just let him. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.